0: How many of you saw saw Black Panther? Black Panther? Yes? Okay. So do you remember the scene where Prince T'Challa needs to go through coronation process and he has to fight all challengers, right? Like M'Baku. Why does he have to do that? It's because at their base, the Wakandans want their king to be the strongest, the most powerful among them. And what better way to figure that out than a good old fight to the death? And while we aren't so barbaric in our day-to-day lives, we, we really do structure ourselves around power. We choose who we think will win the NCAA tournament based on the rankings of their basketball power. Uh, We look at Tom Holland and Zendaya, and we say that they are a power couple because no one in Hollywood can rival their combined charisma. We choose our friends, we pick our battles, we do all of these things based on power. And so tonight, we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Mark, which is really an announcement that a new king has come, and we're going to grapple with how strong is this new king? How powerful is he, and what does that mean for you and for me? And so from our text, which spans Mark 4.35 all the way to the end of chapter 5, we're going to look at the presence of power, the problems with power, and the exercise of power. Now, obviously, we're not going to take the time to to deeply study or even read the 50-some-odd verses that make up this passage. Instead, uh, we're going to summarize the movements that Mark makes here, Uh, and we can really break down this section of Scripture into three different accounts. Account number one is Mark 4, 35 through 40, where Jesus and his disciples are out sailing, And a storm comes up, and it is a really bad one. The disciples are freaking out, but Jesus must have been the heaviest sleeper alive because he is sleeping through all of it. And so they they come to him, they wake him up, and say to him in verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he wakes up, and he says a more eloquent version of hush to the storm, and it listens. Which leads right into account number two, where they get to the other side, to where they were sailing, a man possessed by multiple demons shows up, and he shouts at the top of his lungs in verse seven, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I earnestly urge you, by God, do not torment me. And after a brief exchange, Jesus casts those demons out of the man into a herd of pigs, and he's restored to his right mind. And then he leaves. He gets back in the boat and sails to where he came from, which leads us into the third account, which is a, a two-for-one special. So Jesus, he was once again teaching, as he does, and the, the, uh, a synagogue official, which is like the equivalent of a local pastor today, shows up and he begs Jesus to come and heal his daughter who's dying and on their way to this guy's house, a lady who had a bleeding disorder sneaks up behind Jesus and touches the tip of his clothes and is instantly healed. And Jesus, sensing that something has happened, he stops to figure out where his power went. And so he's conversing with this lady and the, dis- and the delay causes, um, not the delay doesn't cause, um, because he delayed, the daughter dies. Uh, but Jesus still goes with the guy and goes into the little girl's room takes her by the hand and says, child, daughter, arise. And she comes back to life. And that is a lot of information. That is a lot that we could honestly break down into several weeks, but I want to smash them together because they all have a common theme. It's all about power. See, each account brings a challenger to the new king who will challenge Jesus's power. So like in account number one with the storm, who's the challenger? The storm, we could expand that a little bit and say nature, right? Uh, Nature is an incredibly powerful force. Uh, How about account number two? Demons, yeah. Once again, we'll expand it a little bit. Let's just say spiritual forces, right? Um, Incredibly powerful beings and Jesus puts them in their place with a word. How about account number three? This is a two-for-one special. Disease, Disease sure. I'll just say sickness. And? Death. Death, death the great, one of the greatest powers in the world that can level anybody. And yet, Jesus demonstrates power over each one of these things quite easily. And so Mark's point to us is that Jesus is not just mighty, that he is almighty, that he has power over all things. And Mark wants us to think that that is good news. But you and I both know that there are several problems with power, isn't there? Uh, In fact, each one of these accounts highlights a, a problem that that comes with power. Um, for example, in the first account, uh, notice again what the disciples say to Jesus Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? See, power, one of the problems with power is that it breeds apathy to the plight of others. You just kind of stop caring about those beneath you. Um, when I, when I think about that, my mind instantly goes to the emperor's new groove. Uh, there's a scene near the beginning of the film where Isma is on the throne, and someone is petitioning her for help. And she interrupts them and says, It is no concern of mine whether your family has, what was it again? Food? Ha! You should have thought of that before you became peasants. Take him away. And, and like, it's so cruel But that's exactly how people with power often act. We would hope that those who have power would use it for the betterment of others, but oftentimes the more power you accumulate, the more insulated you become to the problem of others. And so an all powerful king might not be so grand for his people who are frequently, constantly, you might say, in need. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, which is a completely different problem with power, is illustrated in the second account. When the townspeople hear that Jesus healed the guy with multiple demons, and they come and they see it for themselves, they are afraid and they ask Jesus to leave. And that is a surprising reaction. He just did something that no one else could do. Why do you want to drive him away? I think it's because they understand the significance of what just happened. See, if Jesus was powerful enough to control demons, that means he's powerful enough to control them. And sure, he was benevolent today, but what about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next year? I mean, what's the old saying? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so in Jesus, we see someone with absolute power, and the people see that, and they assume that if he hasn't gone there yet, He soon will. And not to open a a can of worms, but this is really the heart of the problem for people that struggle with the doctrine of predestination. Because they look at God who has this immense power and they assume that such a being can't be good. And so we put limits on his power. What this does is it creates an unintended problem. So we have corruption... The third problem, which we see in the the third account, is that it's limited, or they put limits on it. Do you know what the real crisis, the real tension in this third account is? It's who's going to get the scarce resource of Jesus' power, because they all believe that there's only a little bit of it, and first come, first serve. Jesus is like a pizza. And if you take two slices, that means there's two slices less for everyone else, which means that someone, actually a lot of someones, aren't getting anything. And so we're really stuck with a crossroads in this passage. We either have Jesus, the king, who is all-powerful, but we are left questioning his goodness and his concern for us, or we have a Jesus who is mighty. He's powerful, but not all-powerful. But that means that the help he can offer you and I is quite limited, and we can never be sure if he'll come through. And so the question is, what are we to do with Jesus' power level? Where is he on the scale, and what does that mean for us? And we see all of that in his exercise of power. If you were to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, you would find the Apostle Paul uh, speaking about how the believers ought to act toward each other. And he presents Jesus as the example for them to follow. And in so doing, he profoundly answers our questions about power. So I'm reading from Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Right there, he tells us, where Jesus' power level is at. Jesus is not just mighty, he is almighty. He shares God's nature, which is a poetic way of saying he's God. And he has all power in heaven and on earth. But notice Paul doesn't leave it there. He goes on to describe how Jesus used that power. Though he was in the form of God, verse 6, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see what Paul is saying? Jesus had all power what does he do with that power? He humbles himself. He, he uses all of that limitless power for our sake. He wasn't apathetic to our sinful state, but rather humbled himself to death on a cross so that you and I might have life. That he leveraged all of his power for our good, and if Jesus uses all of his power for our good while we are his enemies, subjecting himself to death, even death on a cross, then we have no reason to ever worry about his motives. And so here's the point. Mark wants us to understand that Jesus is not just any king, that Jesus is the almighty king, that no one and nothing can stand against him, and that is profoundly good news.